Hello, everybody, and welcome to Horrendous, a Best Friends podcast. This is Elizabeth, and joining me, as always, is the veggie platter to my ranch dip, Callie. I do like veggies. I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> and like with fruits, I'm not crazy about them, but I oh, like- see, I love fruit. That was the one thing I will say was really good at the bridal shower I was at today was uh, they had a grapefruit platter. <laughs> I I was thoroughly overjoyed by that with the good like the white fruit dip. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. See, I I don't mind fruit, but I like the vegetable-y fruits like cucumbers and avocado. <laughs> I know that those are really considered fruits, but they're still vegetables to me. Right. But those are the ones I like. I do like a good cucumber. Avocado, it's got to be in stuff. I can't eat it on its own. Mm, So when we were on keto, we would cut an avocado in half and Mm -hmm. mush it and then put salt, pepper, cheese, and sour. Well, we'd microwave the cheese on it so it melted Mm -hmm. and then put sour cream on it. And it was like a mashed potato. Like a not a mashed potato. Like a loaded baked potato. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I could I couldn't good. even pretend. Like I would like the fake out would not work for me. I'd be like, this is not a fucking potato. Cause I've tried the cauliflower, like mashed cauliflower. It's not the same, but it's good. No, it's awful. Um anyway. You're not putting enough garlic in it then, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so yeah. What did I do this week? Nothing. Today I kind of <laughs> wish this was like a vi- a visual medium because my makeup and hair look great. Yeah, but, but the lighting's kind of shitty, so it doesn't matter. Tr- that is true. True, true. <laughs> but you still get to see my beautiful face. So. Yes, it does look good. Listen to me calling myself beautiful. <laughs> Vast improvement. Oh my gosh, look at what therapy has done for me. <laughs> Not saying that your face right now is a vast improvement. Just you calling I mean, it yourself is. beautiful. Face before what I looked like this morning. Because <laughs> I was at the lake drinking this weekend. Huh. So, you know. Yesterday, not so much. Friday, drank a lot. Saturday, a little. And then I came home today. For our non-Missourians, which lake... A witch lake? So it's a tiny lake in New Florence, Missouri. If you blink, you miss it. For all of our St. Francis County friends, it's kind of like a Lake Timberline situation where some people live there, like, all year round. And then there's some people who just, like, have lots there that they go on the weekends. And that's the situation I, when I say we have, my husband aunt, my husband's aunt has. So we're just – we're there by association – um, it's always a good time. My husband's mother's family does uh, girls weekend every year. No guys allowed, no kids. You have to be 21 to go. And it's basically just sitting around drinking, having a good time, talking, going out on the boat. And yeah. I feel like this is like the third girls weekend this year, though. Well, because I did girls weekend with like other people. Oh, are you thinking? Are you thinking just me regarding and me going to the lake? No, 
Maybe that was last year when you made the shirts. Oh, yeah. For, and then I didn't get to go because of COVID. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was last year. Holy it crap. Was. But also this week, very exciting for me. I celebrate my one-year anniversary at WashU. Congratulations. Congrats to me. Best decision I ever made. Yeah. That is also a vast improvement. When people tell you that, oh, anywhere you go, you're going to encounter toxic people in a toxic work environment, it's a goddamn lie. Because (laughs) I've been at this job for a year. And not to say it's rainbow sunshine and perfection. It's not. You know, everything's got its quirks. But I will say I work with a wonderful group of people I have an amazing boss, not to say anything bad about, you know, former super boss, Brian. It's just the environment's different. And, you know, I do miss some of the people I worked with at SLU, but just overall, I am happy. And Brian did encourage me to take this job. So thank you, Brian, if you still listen at all. I don't know if you do, but thank you (laughs) and happy belated birthday. It's been a little over two years since I've worked. Neat. (laughs) I don't know. I keep thinking about like going back to work. And then at the same time, I'm like, I'm so tired. Why do I want to do that? (laughs) No, this is the last week of summer vacation for my children. Lucky you. Uh, I mean, my life doesn't change that much other than I just have to make sure I get up earlier and Uh, take them to school. Yeah. So that's, I mean, the only real change in my life when school starts. Yeah. I can't wait for back-to-school margaritas. Well, bully for you. Yeah, I don't really have anything, like, exciting going on in my life this week. I don't have anything I feel like I need to talk about. Uh, The last voyage of the Demeter comes out this weekend, so I'm going to make every effort possible to go see that with Brady. Other than that, it's just real boring around my house. We've been binge-watching Ted Lasso again. I think we talked about this last week. I'm, like, way, you know, it's one of those shows. I I hopped on board way too late. But on the flip side, I didn't have, I don't have to wait week to week for a new episode. Yeah, that's fair. I get them all at once, but then I can be, I'm going to be super depressed when it's all said and done. I, oh, we watched the Super Mario movie. It's very cute. Peaches was is the cute. love song of the summer. <laughs> that role was made for Jack Black. Yes. Even though hot take, my friend Sarah does not. It's not that she doesn't like Jack Black. It's that she's just indifferent about him. Whereas I love Jack Black. I think he's hysterical and he's super talented. And she's just like, mm-hmm. I went through a long phase of not liking Jack Black. Not like he's still like, I think he's talented. He can be funny. He's just not for He was but not for you. I think I tried to watch Nacho Libre. I made it 15 minutes in and I'm like, Jack Black's not for me anymore. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like anybody, there's been hits and misses. And I think, I think that's what it really is. Like, she's just like, yeah, he's not for me. Like I can acknowledge like he's mm-hmm. funny. But, like, yeah, not for me. And she really hates when I sing the Peaches song. So, Sarah, this is for you. I'm <laughs> joking. I'm not going to sing the Peaches song. Uh, but what turned it all around for me was uh, Jumanji. He was Oh, so my God. Good. The way he played a teenage <laughs> yes. girl in that movie. 
And, you know, nothing against Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I just think he's a little oversaturated in our media. Yeah. I don't need him in all and the things. Just so we're clear, she said Dwayne The Rock Johnson, not Dwayne The Bronk Johnson, which is my Bronco. Exactly. We're, I'm not referring to Callie's Bronco. I'm referring to the former WWE superstar, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> just wanted to make that clear. The Brahma Bull himself. My husband would be so proud. Yeah, I read a little bit. I've been listening to a Star Wars book just because I found out that listening to Star Wars books is so much better than reading them because they have all the copyrights and everything. So you get Vader's like. (sighs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Don't know how that's going to translate when I go to edit. (laughs) There's a Yes. I just spit on. I just spit on my uh, pop. This week. Pop filter. An hour of Elizabeth and Callie practicing Darth Vader voices. Yes. Not really, though. Although that would be fun. <laughs> or we could just quote Matt's favorite uh, Star Wars line. And it's just literally when Obi-Wan Kenobi pops up behind General Grievous and goes, Hello there. <laughs> Hello there. I, I can't do British. It's like one of his favorite. I, I can't either. But it's literally like one of his favorite things from Star Wars. Oh, that could be a new podcast idea. Two Midwest country girls trying to do, trying do British to. accents. <laughs> oh, why, why would we do that to people? I'm not doing that to people. Um, obviously joking. So... Are you ready for a story? Callie has stories yeah. for me. Okay. Yeah. I love a story. Okay. So, You're finally doing the storytelling. I know. I had a lot of fun researching it. I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud. Okay. So sources are allthatsinteresting.com, geekwire.com, Bridgeport Library, Wikipedia, strangegr.tripod.com, uh, thoughtcatalog.com, bbc.com, pelicanish.blogspot.com <laughs> Okay, that's a very wide variety of uh, sources. Yeah, it is. It is. I I had to dig deep for some of these. No Reddit posts. Well, yeah, no Reddit or Yelp. Oh, is it it's a, not a ghost story? It's not a ghost story. Okay, I was going to say, where's the Yelp reviews? I, I might pull up Reddit if there's still time. So... Okay. Because I feel like you might have a lot to say about this. Maybe. What would, I mean, honestly, what would a Cali story be without a Reddit, without Reddit as I know. sources? Well. I feel like there's been a glitch in the right. matrix. N- Before I jumped on, I was just browsing Reddit for stories about this. So I found a couple of good ones. Oh. But one of the weird thing is I looked at it the other day and I found this like post of stuff. That uh-huh. I was going to reference. And today, yeah, when I went to look again, it was gone. <gasps> so. Even Keely is flabbergasted. So I'm not really one to believe in conspiracy theories. <gasps> it's, it's a conspiracy theory? Maybe. Oh, you know I love a good conspiracy theory. 
Anyway, go ahead. I'm Not sorry. Not to say that I don't <laughs> love to read or watch a good conspiracy theory documentary. Little Callie would stay up late at night watching History Channel documentaries such as The Bible Code or anything about 2012 and the Mayan calendar. Oh, God, you scared the shit out of me when I was pregnant with that 2012 <laughs> shit Any with, with Brady. All right. Continue. Now, did I believe any of it? Not really. The ones that fascinated me the most were the alien ones. Roswell, aliens being the chariots of fire in the Bible, the building of the pyramids, Stonehenge, <laughs> and the Easter Island heads. Uh-huh. Little Callie was scared to death of aliens, but also completely mesmerized by them. The year that really influenced my love of aliens was 1997. It's when Contact with Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey came out. I was obsessed. I even had a plan to go to college at Berkeley and join the study program. I mean, you would have fit right in. But ultimately, that wasn't the career path I ended up taking. I also want to throw a shout out to the year 1996, with Independence Day being released. Oh, my God. Welcome to Earth. Earth. So when I found out in 1997 that Will Smith would be in yet another Alien movie, I was beyond stoked. That's right. This episode isn't necessarily about aliens, but alien adjacent. The real-life Men in Black. (laughs) Shut up! If you haven't seen Men in Black, which who hasn't? Here come the Men in Black. The synopsis is... They are the best-kept secret in the universe. Working for a highly funded yet unofficial government agency, K... Tommy Lee Jones, and Jay, Will Smith, are the men in black, providers of immigration services and regulators of all things alien on Earth. While investigating a series of unregistered close encounters, the MIB agents uncover a deadly plot of intergalactic terrorists who is on a mission to assassinate two ambassadors from opposing galaxies, currently in residence in New York City. I mean, come on. Why wouldn't you want to watch that movie? It sounds great. I saw that movie in the theater with my grandparents. (laughs) Shout out to Mima and Grandpa. They always took us to the movies to see, like, when they were visiting or if we were visiting them. And that is what I specifically remember seeing in the movie theater. <laughs> Great movie. I have seen it way too many times. Matt loves that But movie. it is loves so it. good. So fun fact, the one year that I did dance in high school, our, the jazz, like, so the recital, our jazz dance was to the theme from the second <laughs> That's weird. (laughs) It was. And this may surprise you. Our costumes were glittery black suits. That's a choice. With a white shirt and tie. I mean, at that age, I did love ties myself. So. I bet I could find (laughs) a picture. There's photographic evidence of this. I don't know where, but I will find it. Okay. So. 
The real men in black show up if you have witnessed strange, paranormal, or alien phenomena. They are said to arrive in groups of two or three and threaten witnesses to ensure they remain silent about what they've seen, which I guess they didn't do a good job at. Let's say, or if we're going by the movie, they use a neuralizer to make you forget. Yes, but we're not going by the movie. This is the real life men in black. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go back to June 21st, 1947. (gasps) <gasps> That's a month before Meemaw's birthday. It's also a couple weeks before Roswell. Literally, Meemaw was born July 22nd, 1947. <laughs> Synchronicity, yes. baby. Harold Daw from Tacoma, Washington, went out on his boat in Puget Sound with his son and his dog. While on the boat, he spots what he described as six donut-shaped flying objects in the sky. One of the UFOs exploded and dropped burning debris onto the boat, killing Dahl's dog and burning his son's arm. In a July 29th interview, Dahl said, On June 21st, in the afternoon, around 2 o'clock, I was patrolling the East Bay of Murray Island. I, as captain, was steering my patrol boat close to the shore of a bay on Murray Island. On board, there were two crewmen, my 15-year-old son and our dog. As I looked up from the wheel on my boat, I noticed six very large donut-shaped aircraft. Terrified, they rushed to get off the water. They made their way to the shores of Murray Island and waited for the UFOs to fly away. The next morning, Harold got a knock on his door. When he opened it, there was a man dressed in a white shirt, black suit, black tie, black shoes, and a fedora. He came up the drive in a black 1947 Buick. Swanky. The man in black then takes Harold to a diner and repeats to him everything that happened the previous day. He then says, What I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe. Don't pass this around. You don't even know what you saw. Bad things will happen to you if you talk about this information. Now, is this a hoax or not? Harold never, in fact, said that it was a hoax, but he did state that if questioned by authorities, he was going to say it was, in fact, a hoax, because he did not want any further trouble over the matter. It seems that he took the man in black's advice honestly i probably do the same yeah i mean if somebody tells you bad shit's gonna happen to you 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 pretty much comply in 1951 several naval officers and crew in a motor launch near key west saw a cigar-shaped object hovering over the water a fighter plane appeared and the object flew off vanishing in seconds As soon as the launch docked, they were surrounded by men in dark suits who held them for hours, questioning them in a way that seemed more aimed at discrediting them than anything else. The only source for this story is an anonymous letter in the Miami paper. Amidst the fever surrounding the UFOs in 1940s and 1950s, 
Albert Bender emerged as a central figure by establishing the International Flying Saucer Saucer Bureau in 1952. The IFB? The IFSB. IFSB, okay. Mm -hmm. The organization was committed to advancing investigation of UFOs. Through their quarterly publication, Space Review, the IFSB connected with its global community of 600 members. Fun fact, they invited Albert Einstein Mm -hmm. to join, and he declined. He said, nah, I'm good. He was like, nah, bro. Within the pages of Space Review, accounts of UFO sightings were exchanged, accompanied by conjectures concerning the enigmatic genesis of these phenomena. After starting the IFSB, Bender experienced strange events. His health started to decline, and he claimed receiving strange phone calls and telepathic messages. Bender also became paranoid and felt as if he was being watched. Ooh, don't like that. Uh-uh. In November 1952, Bender reported that while at a local movie theater, he realized a strange man with glowing eyes was observing him. Also, while walking home, he said he was being followed. On another occasion, Bender said he was telepathically hypnotized and levitated. In July 1953, Albert Bender was visited at his home by three men. In a statement from Bender, he said, all of them were dressed in black clothes. They looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to Hamburg style. They made it clear to Bender that he was to stop all work on UFOs. Telepathically, they told him, stop publishing. They proceeded to take all copies of Space Review as they disappeared into a yellow fog in the attic, leaving behind a stench of sulfur. Oh, they were demons. Maybe. Following this, Bender said he was scared to death and unable to eat for days. In newspapers, he is quoted as saying that three men in dark suits flashed credentials showing them to be a rep to be representatives of a higher authority. Following the visit, Bender kept receiving telepathic messages and suffered from headaches. The warning from the men in black convinced him to shut down Space Review after a final issue was released in October 1953. Can we get the men in black to uh, visit Scientology and shut them down? I mean, that would be great. That would be phenomenal. So in the last issue bender wrote the mystery of the flying saucers is no longer a mystery the source is already known but any information about this is being withheld by orders from a higher source Hmm. we would like to print the full story and space review but because of the nature of the information we have been advised in the negative We'd advise those engaged in saucer work to be very cautious. There was actually a story in here that when I went to research more of it, I found out the lady was a Scientologist. Oh, no! (laughs) It was like, yeah, I'm I'm not adding that. That's ridiculous. On a summer day in 1964, 
Jim Templeton took a photo of his daughter in her new dress. When he had the film developed, there was a strange figure in the background behind her. It appears to be a man in a white spacesuit with a helmet and a dark visor. Templeton has no recollection of anyone being in frame when snapping the photo. Kodak confirmed the authenticity of the film, and Templeton's account gained public attention. Soon after, he had an encounter with two individuals identifying as government agents, number nine and number 11. These agents insisted on visiting the photo site and interrogated Templeton about the incident. He told him that he didn't see anything or anyone when he took the photo. The men became angry and stormed off the field, never to be seen again. Several days after taking the photo, a missile test in Australia was aborted by technicians who reported seeing two men in the firing range. The employees contacted Templeton and told him that these men resembled the man in his daughter's photo. And I guess Kodak also had a prize, like a cash reward for anyone who could prove that the photo was fake. And the prize has never been received. So to this day, Kodak confirms that it's authentic. In September 1965, William McCoy and Robert Good, policemen on patrol in Brasoria County, Texas, saw a great rectangular glob of purple light. Then low-flying light planes, apparently unmarked, flew back and forth over the area of the sighting for the next two days. Shortly after the incident, two strangers turned up at the sheriff's office looking for Deputy Good. They tracked down the officer in a local restaurant and immediately proceeded to describe in detail what the UFO looked like, even before Good had an opportunity to tell them. Then they suggested that if he should account encounter a similar machine in the future, he should cooperate with its occupants and keep any conversations with them to himself. The identities of these two mysterious men have never been determined. Spooky. September 1976. Dr. Hubert Hopkins, a 58-year-old doctor and hypnotist. Oh, okay was acting as a consultant on a UFO case in Maine. While alone one evening, a man claiming to be the vice president of the New Jersey UFO research organization called and asked to visit Hopkins to discuss the case. Surprisingly, the man arrived almost instantly, even though there was no visible car. Dressed impeccably in black with a hairless appearance and distinct features the visitors odd behaviors included mentioning coins in hopkins pocket the visitor stated that dr hopkins had two coins in his pocket which was true he then asked the doctor to put one of the coins in his hand and to only focus on the coin as hopkins watched the coin seemed to go out of focus and then slowly vanish The man in black stated, neither you nor anyone else on this plane will ever see that coin again. That's ominous. 
It is. He went on to ask Hopkins whether he was familiar with the alleged UFO abductee Barney Hill. Of Betty and Barney Hill fame? Yes. No, I have no idea. It is. Yeah. No Betty and Barney Hill. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hopkins replied that he had heard of him, but was under the impression that he had died in the not-too-distant past. The man in black informed Hopkins that he was correct, saying, Barney didn't have a heart, just like you no longer have a coin. But to that, Barney Hill actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage and not anything heart-related. Ooh, it is raining out. Hopkins noticed that the stranger's speech was slowing down. At that point, the man got up to his feet and said, my energy is running low. Must go now. Goodbye. Would he like need to go recharge his battery like the Duracell bunny? Maybe. He slowly clambered down the stairs, walking towards a bright bluish white light in the driveway. After the ominous visit, Hopkins burned all the files he had related to the case and never saw the man again. Hmm. Danny Gordon, a radio personality, had become captivated by a series of UFO sightings in Wythe County, Virginia. Wythe County, Virginia. One of those has to be right. One of them. Virginians, write us an email horrendous.podcast at gmail.com that was good i'm sorry that was just rolled off your tongue i was even listening nice i think i'm gonna send us an email now nice do it The region buzzed with reports of particular aerial phenomena prompting Gordon's investigation. Driven by a passion for capturing images, Gordon's quest led him to photograph UFOs even as a school bus full of students witnessed the objects above a shopping mall. His close-range snapshots purportedly confirmed their extraterrestrial nature. However, Unsettling events soon followed. A self-proclaimed ex-military person called caution that his research might exact a heavy toll on him and his family, urging him to desist. Men in black suits posing as magazine personnel interviewed Gordon, only for his photos to mysteriously vanish afterward. The magazine disavowed any knowledge of them or their supposed article. Subsequently, a heart attack underscored the toll on his well-being, prompting his decision to relinquish the pursuit. Gordon's encounter ceased after that. Interesting. This one, I'm just going to say trigger warning for... um, or what stuff. was it? Yeah, um, murder, mutilation. Oh no, not mutilation. So I couldn't really find any other sources on this. Okay, but January 1996, a Southern California cover band 
took a break from a late night jam session for a smoke when they all blacked out. They awoke 10 minutes later, but the lead singer had vanished. He reappeared two days later with some scars. In the third week of February, he was sitting on the porch when a black Cadillac pulled up and three very pale, very bald men in black suits got out. Wasn't Tom DeLong from Blink-182, was it? It says cover band, I so I don't... I'm just being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I really tried Googling this to come up with any other information. The singer said, at first glance, they kind of looked Asian, but a closer look let me know they were not Asian at all. And that's another report. A lot of people say they have slanted eyes, but not the same as like, at first it looks Asian, but then they're when you really look shape. close, yeah, they're slanted and weird. Okay. They're unnatural looking. Yes. They said that they were with the FBI and that he had to accompany them to their office to answer some questions. He hesitantly got in the car, which, though it was a 1978 model, it smelled brand new. Hmm. They drove him around for a half an hour, warned him not to continue to talk about his alien abduction, and showered him with a series of grisly pictures of mutilated bodies, which they said was what happened to people who do not comply. They also showed video footage of them killing people. When he was returned, his friends took down the license plate, but the police told them that no such plate was registered in California or with the FBI. The victim put the story on a computer bulletin board anonymously out of fear. So that's how we have the story, but there's no other information on it. I gotcha. Yeah. So, Dan Aykroyd. Yes, he's very... So, he actually... We'll have to do a whole episode on his family. His family was big in the paranormal world in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also a big alien guy. So, he has shared his account of an eerie experience while recording a paranormal show. During a phone call with Britney Spears, who invited him to appear on Saturday Night Live with her, he noticed a black Ford parked nearby. A tall man emerged from the car, locked eyes with Ackroyd, and inexplicably inexplicably vanished when Ackroyd looked back. Upon concluding his call, Ackroyd returned to the studio only to discover his show was canceled and he was instructed to <gasps> halt filming this, immediately I think, on the last podcast on the left they interviewed yeah. him and i think he talked about this it's so wild although some skepticism exists Ackroyd remains resolute asserting he witnessed the event and believes a connection exists between these men in black and the show's termination it is oddly coincidental yeah Ackroyd says i know what i saw when talking about the incident yeah so do you want me to pull up a reddit story yeah go for it okay give me just a moment 
Okay, there was one that was on Reddit, but the user has had um, deleted his account. Okay. But Ranker um, had uploaded it. Okay, this is from Redditor who is no longer a Redditor, Uber Rob. Okay. Or Ube Rob. Okay. Before I tell my story, I'd like to say that I am a complete skeptic and question anything and everything supernatural. I think extraordinary claims should always require extraordinary evidence. Even to this day, I will never be able to empirically prove what I experienced. I am currently 26 years old. This happened on June 16, 2007. I remember it vividly. It was immediately embedded into my long-term memory when it all happened. In psychology, I believe they refer to these events as flashbulb memories. Anyway, I was living in my parents' home at the time. It was a pretty stormy night. The wind was gusting slightly more than usual. Rain was coming down violently. Your typical crackles of thunder and lightning. I was playing World of Warcraft at the time. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's fine. I mean, I didn't play that, but I did spend a lot of time in Star Wars Galaxies. Everybody's got a thing, man. Right. Enjoying the idea that I had a legitimate excuse not to go out and do anything. I was about to finish one of the longest chain quests in the game when the internet goes out. I try for about 30 anxious minutes to get the internet to work, and you guessed it, nothing. I head to my room, frustrated. Here I am, home alone, no internet, and irritated as hell. My parents at the time were out at a work-related event. I remember lying on my bed just staring at the ceiling. I turned my head to look at my old retro alarm clock. It read 6.18 p.m. Knock, knock, knock. I immediately sprung up, eyes wide open, startled as hell. I crawled to my window that faces the front door and knock, knock, knock again. I peek outside my window to see three tall men literally dressed in your typical FBI-looking black suits. One had what looked to be a folder file, or something. Another had what I have now identified as a Geiger counter. Well, that's scary. Yeah. And the other one was beating my door with his huge fist. I head to the door, not really thinking much of it. I honestly thought they were church people just solicitating (laughs) their beliefs. I'm so sorry. (laughs) He mistook them for Jehovah's Witness. A lot of people on Reddit are like, it's the Mormons. No, if it's anybody, it's the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. I would say the Mormons are a close second, but it's always the Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. I open the door. The man nearest the door who is knocking greets me in a very monotone voice pulls out a badge and says he and his colleagues need to check the water source from the house's faucets. faucets. I asked them a bunch of questions. It turns out that they were in fact the FBI and someone had allegedly tried to poison the city water. 
Is this an episode of Batman? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't like Batman, so I couldn't tell you. It was, uh, <laughs> gosh, anyway, go ahead. I called my parents to let them know what was going on. They okayed the situation. The guys in the suits didn't even check the water in my house. They had some other group of government guys show up and check. I tried to ask if there was a motive or if it was a terrorist act. They simply said they couldn't talk about it in detail. Hmm. Then out of nowhere, all the lights in the house go out. It's pitch black. The guys in suits tell everyone to stay calm. They think it's just a power outage. The guys taking water samples turn on their flashlights. As one of the flashlights flashes over the tallest of the suited men, I see a reflection from his face. There was metal underneath his face. The guy with the flashlight quickly directs the light somewhere else. A moment later, the guy with the flashlight says, Sir, it has begun. The suited guy with the Geiger counter turns it on. The thing just starts going haywire. Not even three seconds later, it felt as if I was being pulled into a million different directions. I could not see anything at first, just excruciating pain. I thought I was in the process of being disintegrated alive. Out of nowhere, I see nothing but white. I literally thought I was in what religious people call heaven. A man appears to me and smiles, swinging his arm in an inviting way as if I were entering a ballroom dance or party. I try to walk, but nothing. Then the white room gets sucked into itself, and I see my life flash before my eyes. I see everything. Disneyland at 5, my first kiss at 15, watching 9-11 happen on TV with mom and dad. Everything. I see Earth suspended in space. I am watching Earth from above. And then I fall. I am falling, heart racing, numbness, disbelief. I see the ground getting closer and closer. I know this is it. And I know I will die. Before I hit the ground, I hear... Before I hit the ground, I hear the monotone voice of the suited man say in my head, Do not static and white noise no matter what. So he couldn't even hear what he said not to do. Okay. That's not helpful at all. No. Like, wait, what? What? (laughs) I woke up in my bed with a cold sweat and panic. I freaked the fuck out and ran downstairs to find my parents cooking dinner. I run back upstairs and see the time is 6.22 p.m. I was relieved to find out it was a dream but it gets creepy. I go back downstairs and ask my parents when they got home. They told me they'd been home as it was their day off. I asked how their company event went and they said it was last week. I asked them what time I fell asleep. They told me they didn't know I was sleeping. I go to my computer and find that my World of Warcraft account has been logged in where I left off before the internet went down. I checked my computer for the date, and it was the 23rd. I have literally no memory of a full week. I try to recall what had happened in my dream, but it was a blur. I go back upstairs and see that it looked like someone went through my closet. It was their parents looking for their weed. Right. (laughs) I searched around and freaked the fuck out. 
the exact same Geiger counter the alleged FBI agent was holding was in my closet. I have never told anyone about this until now. I still have the Geiger counter and I don't know what to do with it. I've since spent the last decade trying to put the pieces together. I just live day by day as an ordinary person, hoping they don't return. So there are tons of stories about visits from men in black. Yeah, I know. And that's why we drink when M did the Mothman. They had a men in black story within the Mothman story. Yes. So there are a lot of reports from 1966 and 1967. And there were also a lot of Mothman. Um, no, sorry. There was a lot of UFO sightings around when Mothman was happening. Yeah. And I know this because I was going to do a Mothman episode, but then I realized everyone's done a Mothman yeah, episode. Yeah, everybody so has I'm done not Mothman. doing it. They are mostly the same story over and yeah. over again. Threats, phone calls, some telepathic communications. Yeah. And they usually appear after a UFO sighting mm-hmm. or someone is researching UFOs. Yeah. But now that the government says, hey, aliens exist, I wonder if there will be any more encounters. That's true. I mean, I guess you'll find out soon since you were doing research on them. There's a lot of theories also on who or what they actually are. The most common being secret government agency Mm -hmm. or interdimensional beings or actually aliens themselves. So a lot of these stories can't actually be verified, but I am keeping my fingers crossed that they don't show up at my house because I did this episode. So there you have it. The real life men in black. Thank you. That was well done and also horrifying. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. They're like the black eyed children. The more you talk about them, the the more likely they are to show up so good luck with Yay. that when you disappear i'll know what happened and i'll be posting uh an ad on craigslist and uh what's that other job zip recruiter for a new podcasting yeah. partner oh thanks i'm I that mean, I'll replaceable cry. Cool. no i'll i'll cry for a little bit i didn't say you were replaceable <laughs> i just mean the show must go on just get sarah to do it my sarah okay I was going to say, my Sarah's like, I won't talk, but I will listen. My Sarah might do it. And you guys get along really well. Brady would probably volunteer in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Definitely. All right. All right. So I did an episode. I did the research. I'm so proud. Who's telling the story next week? Me or you? I'm more asking so I know if I have to do research or not. Yeah. You... Because, like, I said it was going to be a two-parter, but it's not – they're not really related. I just did the story so I can just mention them without going into them in the next episode. okay. I do. I see what you're setting me up for. So it's not really a two-parter. It's just they're casually mentioned. They're casually dating. For the next one. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I'll get my shit together and figure it out. All right. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Horrendous, a Best Friends podcast. Bye, besties.